Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here broadcasting on 6abc.com. If you're a fan of radio, we also broadcast on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT every Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Before I welcome my guests today, I want to always give a big thank you to our sponsors, our corporate partners who bring us uh, the support that allows us to bring you these amazing women and their stories. So I want to say thank you to Comcast, NBC Universal, Curio Digital Therapeutics, uh, Dr. Jen Welter, who does a sports watch for us, Sherry Morrison, who's leading our brand new lifestyle watch. You'll hear from her later in the show today and Penn Community Bank that does a finance watch. Um, Also, for all information on the show, feel free to go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And you can see our lineup um, and all things related to the show. And don't forget to sign up for the podcast and our newsletter. So now I'm very excited um, and honored to welcome to the show Robin Graham. Robin is a personal brand strategist, and she's also the author of You, Me, and Anxiety. Robin, welcome to the show. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. It's great to have you. And I I so much appreciate um your candid talk around the topic of anxiety, in addition to the work you're doing to help and support women entrepreneurs. Um, and I wanted to to start with a little bit about your background and have you talk about the community you grew up in. Oh, wow. So I grew up in a little town called Nashville, Illinois, a town of 3000 people, primarily farming community. Uh, My father was uh, a journeyman lineman for Illinois Power, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom and an artist and later went to college and became a librarian. We grew up in 
going to church every Sunday. We grew up going to a parochial school and the high school, the largest class I think was 125 students. So we were very, very small community, very tight knit. Everybody knew everybody's business and Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that was it. And I couldn't wait to leave and go to college and create a life of my own. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, I I have a quote you, you shared with me. You said, I grew up in a family with a lot of dysfunction and I suffered with severe anxiety. So when I hear that, um, I think a lot of children for multiple reasons have that kind of an experience. And I wonder if you can describe where that came from for you and how you managed to kind of continue to move forward with your dreams in spite of that. So I think there are several things to consider here. One is that because of that, I was driven to get away and create something of my own. It's not that my family ever suppressed me. I was always encouraged to dream and and to do and be active and go for whatever I wanted. But my my parents both came from dysfunctional families. And when you have two people who come from dysfunctional families and my mother had been abused as a as a young woman, young girl, and when you come from those environment it it's very hard to create something of your own that doesn't reside in a place of dysfunction. And mm-hmm. my parents were totally in love with each other, but because of their past histories, my mother had a lot of challenges with trust. She didn't have self-confidence. She was constantly trying to prove herself, was always worried about what other people were going to think about her, our family, my father. My father came from again, a loving family. However, there was a lot of trauma and a lot of dysfunction and he had anxiety himself. And as a result, he had a temper. So when you bring these two personalities together, there was a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting. And that is not a healthy environment for a little girl who is already prone to anxiety and is shy to experience. Now, my sisters and I are all strong, successful women But I think there's a couple of things there when we were always encouraged and we were always encouraged to work very, very hard. And all of those things combined kind of pushed us in the direction to where we were going to succeed and we were going to do something with ourselves and for ourselves, no matter what circumstances defined us when we were young. Robin, would you say when you were young that there you know, sometimes in a family, you can feel and sense that things aren't right. But if if it's not discussed and talked about, there's just this constant worry. You're not sure what's happening. Or did your parents sit down and kind of talk to you about the trauma that that they both experienced? No, I didn't know the traumas they experienced until I was really an adult. Um, when before my father passed away at 59 years old from cancer, he had started seeing a therapist and they went to my parents went together and I think they went separately and he got on medication. And when that happened, his life transformed. He was able to navigate situations and not be so upset or so angered by them. But it wasn't until I was an adult that I learned that my my father didn't feel loved And my father, you know, didn't feel that his family appreciated him or loved him. Now, my grandmother had always told me that my father was her rock because he was the middle child. He was strong. He was healthy. But she couldn't. She told me she didn't go to his football games because she didn't want him to get hurt. And she didn't. She was so afraid of him getting hurt. She couldn't watch. Now, my father thought that meant she didn't love him. So there Mm -hmm. were a lot of miscommunications, I think, because people didn't talk. Um, my, um, my mother's perspective, her mother was very abusive and I believe probably was bipolar based on looking back, but Mm -hmm. we didn't know these things. We only knew that there were periods of time when she was speaking to my parents or she wasn't speaking to my parents. And there was never any, any past or any history explained to us. So growing up, we just thought, well, okay, she's not speaking to us. She is speaking to us. And, but it wasn't until I was an adult that I learned 
all of the history and the things that had happened. I didn't know the significance of my mother's childhood and how awful my grandmother had been to her until just really in the near, the recent history. Wow. So, so I didn't know those things. So right. when all of this is going on, you know, I'm not seeing this environment in my friends' homes, but I saw it in my own home. So it does elevate worry. It does elevate anxiety. And as a result of all the pressures, there was a ton of worry on my mother's part. And, you know, I think probably she did have anxiety. We know my father did, but that constant worry. And to this day, it's worry is something that if I hear people worrying a lot, it's just, please stop. Like you have control over those thoughts because it's only going to give you a negative spiral, downward spiral in terms of how you manage the rest of your life. Yeah. I I actually, I want to talk more about that later in the show, the difference between worry and anxiety and being nervous. I think they're all a little bit different. And I know that, you know, you have a lot of knowledge. And um, by the way, for the viewers that might not know you and your work, you bring very much um, the topic of mindset into the work when you're working with entrepreneurs and helping them to establish their their business and and who they are. And it's really fascinating. I think the knowledge of the history of our family, would you say that that could solve a lot of problems, I think, of dysfunction if there were more opportunities where parents sit down and say, here is the history of my side of the family and here's the history of of dad's side of the family. And just that awareness, I think would alleviate a lot of angst that that kids have. 100%. I, I think what happens though, and why that is so hard is the fact that when anyone perceives their life as not being normal, and let's use air quotes for normal, because I don't think there is truly a definition for normal that fits the family. I think we're all so unique, right? And there are different dynamics in every family. So to define a normal family, but a family with stability and no dysfunction may appear more normal than another family. But if you perceive your family as being different or not being the way it should be defined by society, then there's shame and shame mounts. And anytime there's shame, there's fear and there's judgment. And oftentimes the the past has not been forgiven and that shame just compounds. And when that shame compounds, people don't want to talk about what happened in the past. They're afraid that what happened in the past is going to be placed as judgment on them. And so it's kept under the rug. And I think, you know, in telling my story, it was absolutely not to blaspheme my parents. I love my parents dearly. And they did the absolute best they could Mm -hmm. in raising us despite the circumstances. My mother was a teen mother. She had me at 17. And, you know, in a lot of ways, we grew up together and we, we still, you know, she, she'll say how old she is. And I'm like, mom, like you were a grandmother and I have a 14 year old, like there's no, there's no <laughs> aging on your part, you know, yeah. Yeah. but um, it, it it's funny how all of us can take something and perceive it one way. But if we choose to perceive it from that place of negativity or doubt or shame or judgment, instead of getting curious and giving ourselves the grace to accept things as they are and learn from that to change it for ourselves, then we do end up in that place of, of, of shame and hiding and, and more dysfunction building on top of those layers of dysfunction. Yeah. So tell me how you managed while you were growing up, going to school, grade school, high school, college. How did you manage that anxiety? And were you working on kind of fixing it? Um, did you seek any therapy or did you, were you just kind of um, reflecting and, and um, exploring on your own and then coming really to a realization about how to manage it. So when I was young, no, there was no manage, managing. And that is why I ended up with eating disorders and not doing well. And, you know, the re- I, I excelled in school. I was a perfectionist. I wanted to be the best I could possibly be. But I, I was a runner. I would exercise excessively. I was obsessed with body image. And I had an eating disorder. 
And that's how I managed. That's how I controlled because the only thing I could control was what I did with my body. I couldn't control anybody else. I couldn't control anyone else's reactions or, or behaviors, but I could control what I did with my body. Mm. And I think that's a lot of, that's the case with a lot of young girls and young women. And when I was growing up, people didn't talk about mental health challenges. And if they did, it was in whispers behind their back. Mm -hmm. And there was so much judgment and stigma around it that the opportunity wasn't there to get help. You know what? And there is irony as well, because if, if the people around know what the triggers are, it's so much easier to accept and understand. And I bet your dad was so relieved when he learned more even about himself and understood why do I get so angry? Why am I so, you know, anxious? Yeah. 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 Um, listen, we're going to go into our first break. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk uh, about the book and, and why you decided to write it. Stay with us for our watch team and we'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Finance Watch. At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. Want to start a business? Once you have your business idea and structure established, you may be wondering, what comes next? It's easy to focus on the big picture, so here's some simple steps you can take to get your business operating successfully from day one. Even in the early stages of your business, separating your business finances from your personal checking account is a necessary step. Create a business checking account so you're more organized when it comes to tracking your finances. There's a wide variety of business checking accounts available, so have an understanding of what would work best for you and your business. If your business is ran from your home, having a P.O. box address can give your business a more professional image. Use this address for communicating with customers and vendors and as the address for all bank and legal documents. A P.O. box can provide a sense of security when receiving important documents, too. If your target customer may not be in your location or you simply want to expand your reach, explore if e-commerce would benefit your business. Consider factors like inventory, shipping, technology, and employees when deciding if to take your business online is the right answer. If you're not so sure but are willing to test it out, try a platform that takes care of the back end of running an e-commerce business. Most importantly, don't be afraid to ask for help. Turn to those in your network who have been on the journey of starting a business before you. Asking for help is one of the best things that you as a business owner can do. Penn Community Bank offers business banking solutions to help your company thrive. Learn more about our business checking products at PennCommunityBank.com today. Penn Community Bank, here we are and here we grow. Women to watch. Sports watch. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Jen Welcher and you are listening to Sports Watch. Too many times people look at the highlight reel of your life and they don't see what happened in the dark. If you're going to make it to the bright life, you're going to have to take some L's. And as a matter of fact, doesn't, doesn't life start with L? So that means you have to get through it to get to it. As, as a person who played sports, like I have won championships, but the Super Bowl that I will never forget was the first one I ever played in and we took the L. And you know what? I learned a whole lot about it. I learned I never wanted another team to catch me off guard. I knew I wanted to be the most prepared athlete that I could be. And I hadn't felt that way going into that game. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if we'd have won that first Super Bowl, if I would have had the passion and perseverance to go on to win four or to play long enough to win two gold medals. So let's just put it really simply. Life, it starts with L. You've got to get through them to get to it, right? Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm Sue Rocco, and you're watching Women to Watch, and I'm joined this week by Robin Graham, excuse me, I was going to say Glenn, Robin Graham, um, 
Robin is an author and she is a personal brand strategist um, and consultant and advisor, I'll say, to um, women entrepreneurs. And I wanted to ask you at the beginning of this segment, why did you decide to write the book, You, Me and Anxiety? That is such a good question. And the only the only answer I can really give with all honesty is that I felt a calling on my heart to do it. I was experiencing motherhood with teens that had anxiety and I was witnessing friends and family members and and their children and observing the rise of anxiety and Mm -hmm. the increase in overdoses in our community, as well as the, the entire United States. I was watching young girls with eating disorders and I thought I have to tell my story. I have to come out. And, you know, I feel like for many, many years I lived under a facade. I was not exactly who I was. And because I didn't want people to know, I didn't want people. I had a lot of shame around the eating disorders and and how I actually grew up and all of those things. And despite the fact that we had so much laughter and love in our home, despite all of that dysfunction, we had a good childhood. My sisters and I have so many fun memories and we had so much laughter and, and mayhem, but there, that heaviness, I just felt called to tell my story. And someone asked me one day, what ROI do you expect from writing this book? And I thought to myself, I, I hadn't even thought of ROI, like a dollar amount never crossed my mind, but Mm. to save one girl from dying by suicide or death by overdose. If I did that, that would be ROI to last a lifetime. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a genetic link? Because you mentioned your children, you're, you're a mom, and you started to see it in your kids. And that must have been so scary. You know, oh, my gosh, you know, my, my son or my daughter now is going to have the same challenge. Um, do, do you think there is a genetic link to it? There 100% is a genetic link that scientifically that has been proven and I've experienced it. Um, My grandmother, my father, me, my children, there, there is the same on my husband's family. I have so many friends who we didn't know, you know, you can have a conversation and it's like, oh my gosh, that must've been what was wrong with my parent. That must've been what was wrong with my sister or that defines my brother. There, there's so many people who did not know. And I think there's, now we hear the phrase, oh, I have anxiety quite often. And it's almost overused. And it's often used as an excuse. And inappropriately, I'm going to say, because there are people who genetically are predisposed and then have environmental triggers on top of that. And anxiety is not something that is trivial. This is something that is a clinical diagnosis and it is not something that one can manage on their own. Everyone can try, but it takes a team. It takes support. And it sometimes oftentimes takes a combination of medication and therapy in order for someone to truly be able to manage it long-term. Do you think it's possible for anyone to live without any level of anxiety. And and actually, I, I wanted to talk to you about what you think the differences are between anxiety, um, worry, and just nervousness. I mm-hmm. think they're, they're not one in the same. No, they are not one in the same. And I think it's often confused. When we talk about anxiety, it is an abnormal apprehension or fear around a certain circumstance, situation, or person that often is accompanied by physical signs and symptoms. Mm. And that fear is also is oftentimes prohibitive. People cannot do the things that they desperately want to do. When we talk about being nervous, you may have similar signs and symptoms as anxiety. However, the way I like to compare it is that if you are nervous about something, say you are going to give a talk and you're very nervous going into the situation, but as soon as you have done the presentation and you are finished, all that weight is off your shoulders. You feel relaxed. Your palms are no longer sweating. You're not shaky. Your any symptom that you had is removed. With anxiety, that doesn't cease. You can be anxious and nervous about doing a talk, but after you have finished, then all the what ifs come in. 
What if they didn't like me? What if that person I saw taking writing something down was writing something bad about me in an evaluation? And those negative thoughts just keep coming in and flooding you quickly. And it's just, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? So you can see the difference there. Worry is a dwelling on the negative. And I believe fullheartedly that worry is a choice, that we can sit and worry all day long that something bad is going to happen. And all we're doing is focusing on the negative unnecessarily, because if we're worrying about things that we have no control over, we're worrying future, right? I think exactly. when the future, we're worrying about the future, something that hasn't happened yet. Exactly. And what we focus on ultimately is what we create. So if we're sitting there and focusing on all of this negative worry, then we're stripping ourselves of the joy and the possibilities for a positive future. Yeah. So that's the difference of the three. Okay. So um, let's move to a little bit to your professional journey. Um, I think it's so interesting that you were a pharmacist and then a photographer, and now you're running your own business as a um, personal brand strategist. So how did how did that come about? You know, what were your aspirations when you first went to pharmacy school? Oh, I wanted a high power career. I wanted to wear a suit every. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every day and heels and I wanted to make a lot of money and I did not <laughs> want to be a stay-at-home mom like my mom and I just get out of Illinois <laughs> I did I wanted to get out of southern Illinois I wanted to be in the city I wanted high energy high power and I achieved that I got a doctorate degree and it wasn't without angst um there was and the story is in is in the book of course about my journey there it was, there was some turmoil and a lot of things that did not go as they should have gone, but I did it. I was successful and I had a good career and I won awards and all of those things. And then I met my husband, we got married, we moved to Pennsylvania for his job when my oldest was nine months old. So complete whirlwind, as much as I wanted to get away from the little town I grew up in, it was never my plan to get completely away from my family. However, mm -hmm probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I grew so much as a person. But fast forward, when my oldest was in sixth grade, we started seeing significant signs and symptoms of anxiety. I knew what was happening because I, I didn't know it was anxiety per se, because up to this point, I still had not technically ever been officially treated for anxiety. So keep in mind that I'm just knowing that he's acting the way I always felt. Was he saying so, anything to you? No. Okay. So you just no. recognize intuitively, you knew. I knew. And yeah. we did, we saw the doctor we had, we did go to a therapist and it helped. It was, it was great. And he started to do better. But at that point, when I, we started to see that I was consulting. So I was having to travel some, my husband traveled 50% globally. He has the same degree I have and works in big pharma. And our life was crazy. No family here. We were like two ships passing in the night at times. And my, our, our nanny that I had watching our daughter became very ill. And Grace was, I think three at the time. So there was, a lot of 
anxiety, just I'll say anxiety building in our home. And my husband and I looked at each other and we just said, this is not worth it. This is not how we want to raise our children. And I said, I do not ever want our children to live the way I've lived. Not that I had a bad life, but there was so much darkness inside that I lived with. Right. And I could never fully let my guard down. So I never truly enjoyed everything to the extent I could have and mm-hmm. wish I had. And I didn't want that for my children. And my husband said, you love photography. You light up when you do it. Why don't you do something with your photography? Now, to this point, I had taken pictures of my kids, friends, kids, but mostly I did fine art photography. But I thought, okay, I'll do this. And I started a, a little lighter. My- yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a little lighter. I could control my yeah. schedule, you mm-hmm. know, still be at all the games, be here when they got off the bus for school, all of that. And um within six weeks, I had my first client, which was a personal branding photography client. And at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. But at that point in time, I was still new to this world of entrepreneurship, new to this world in the the creativity aspect. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to brand myself. I didn't know what to do. I tried to do everything myself instead of hiring someone. So I made a lot of mistakes and I learned a lot on that journey. And a few years in, I decided, you know what? I am narrowing down to only headshots and branding because I can do that during the day when my kids are at school. And that's what I did. And I loved it, met incredible people, made women feel extraordinarily comfortable in front of the camera, which is very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. It was very rewarding. I still got to have intellectual conversations with people. But as I was working, I realized that the entrepreneurs that were coming to me did not know how to build a personal brand. They didn't even know what that meant. They didn't know what images to use for what. And so I started consulting with them to say, okay, I'm going to review all these images with you. And here are all the ideas of how you can use them, but they didn't know how to use them for SEO on their website. There were so many things they didn't know how to do. And the more I started seeing this, the more I thought I can help them so much more than just taking pictures of them. How did, so then you, I, learn, how did you learn that? Did, did it just come naturally to you? You know what I'm, they should be doing? I'm a very strategic thinker. And when I was in corporate, I did a lot of work in marketing. So a lot of that just came natural to, naturally to me. But mm-hmm. I also am an avid reader and I read everything I can get my hands on and I study and I observe other people and what other people are doing. So I just, it, it came easy to me, I, I have to say. And I'm very fortunate that I learn quickly and I adapt quickly. And I'm a street strategic thinker in addition to being very creative. So the two, I was fortunate that they went hand in hand in the situation. But the more I started doing that, the more I fell in love with the, the coaching, the teaching component of what I was doing. And then in 2020, one, as I was writing the book, preparing to publish it, I had the podcast, I had the book, I had my business and the coaching business, and then also the photography business. And something had to go for 2022. I couldn't do it all. I realized I'm, I'm one person, I'm human, I can't do it all. And so despite the fact that I have a little team around me, I said, you know what, this is what I want to do because I can have a bigger impact. I can have a deeper impact if I'm helping people with their mindset, if I'm helping them navigate the struggles of the online world. And because I'm tech savvy and I have all of these additional skills, there's so many ways I could help them instead of just giving them images that a lot of times they have no idea what to even do with. Right. Would you say you are a teacher? So I often think that we all are we all fall into a category, right? A, a different title, if you will. And when you look back, do, do you think teaching has always been something that brings you joy and you're where you're meant to be? 100%, Susan, 100%. And it's funny because when I'm working with my clients, a lot of times they don't have clarity around what their purpose is or who their ideal soulmate clients are. And I always start with what I call my purpose equation, which is listing out your values, your visions, and your passions. And where they overlap, if you think of a Venn diagram, that is where your purpose lies. And so for me, when I look at my values and my visions, which started from the time I was a little girl, 
we would play house. My father had these antique desks he picked up somewhere. I don't know. Maybe the school was getting rid of them. I don't know. But we had them set up like a classroom in our basement. And I was the teacher for all the neighbor girls, my sisters. I was always the teacher. And I look back on that. And that that is truly what I love to do is is mm-hmm. to to educate. And I think it's hard for me to put a title on what I do. Yes, it's consulting. Yes, it's coaching. Yes, it's teaching. It's mentoring. It's all of that rolled into one. So if anyone has a, a word for all of that rolled into yeah. one, I would love to know what it is. But <laughs> it it all stems from that love of teaching and educating and and having that method of support in there at the same time. You know what, Robin, we came to the end of the segment. It went so fast. I have a lot more questions I wanted to ask you, but um, we have to go into a break. I thank you so much for being here and um, share your website so that people can find you. Yes, absolutely. I'm therobingraham.com and I'm the Robin Graham everywhere on the web. So I'm very easy to find. And you can learn about the book on the website as well. Terrific. I think it's going to help a lot of people. I think you're very brave to, to tell that story. Thank you, Susan. We're going to go into our next break. And when we come back, we're going to be with Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch segment um, uh, contributor. And she's going to be with a mother-daughter team who own a winery, Gail and Glenn. We'll be right back. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Hi, welcome back to the show. You're watching Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and we are joined by Sherry Marson, our brand new Lifestyle Watch contributor. And she's going to be speaking with Sarah Troxel, who is the owner of a winery, and she's actually a mother-daughter team. So I'm excited to learn more about it. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sue. Yes, as you mentioned, we're speaking with owner and winemaker Sarah Troxel of Galen Glen Vineyard and Winery. Thanks for joining us today, Sarah. My privilege and pleasure. So Galen Glen is an 83-acre farm. It's uh, 20 acres of vineyard and a winery, and it's located in Andres, Pennsylvania, which is approximately an hour and a half from Philadelphia and about an hour and 10 minutes from Montgomery County. And it is absolutely magnificent. I feel like I'm on top of the world as I look 360 degrees at the vineyards. They're just like undulating all around you. Sarah, can you tell us a little history of Galen Glen? So the farm is in my husband's family for nearly 200 years. My husband is generation six and our daughter, Erin, who has come back to join us after a couple college degrees and a master's in Europe is generation seven. Um, It's a privilege to live there and share it with guests when they visit us, because as you described, it has an astounding 360 degree view. And we farm wine. We've got 20 acres of grapes and 10 varieties that we grow. Wow. So um, I have uh, one of your bottles. You were nice enough to share some wine for me to try so I could make sure I knew what I was talking about. Let's see if I can turn this right. Can you see that? Yes, I can. So your labels, they're unique. They're eye-catching. They tell a story. They do. Tell me about the elements on the label. Describe them, please. So the large hexagon on the label shows our property. Um, The winery is named after my husband, Galen. And then the second part of the name, Glen, refers to the shape of the land. Our farm is a glacially carved glen, um, carved out about 10,000 years ago. The same glaciers creep down from the Finger Lakes and carve our farm. So the top of the glen, um, we have vineyards. In the valley of the glen, we have the wine cellar. And then on the other side of the glen, more vineyards. There's a little gear on the label. That's a nod to my husband's background as an engineer. And lastly, there's a small icon that we change out. It's grape leaves. um, It's a fleur-de-lis. It's a crown. It's all kinds of icons that kind of symbolize the wine in the bottle. And lastly, the whole shape is held together because before I was a winemaker, I was a pharmaceutical chemist. So the first question I get asked is, is it a real molecule? No, (laughs) it is a (laughs) molecule, but it is a hexagon ring, um, which is um, a symbol in many forms of chemistry, but also in life, Um, honeycombs are hexagons. So it's kind of a nod to nature and science together. 
Very cool. And and that's what makes a great label is it tells a story. It's eye catching. And the, definitely the different shapes on there are eye catching. You use some great colors. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, so one of my favorite parts of your story is it does include your daughter, Erin, who is now a partner in Big Piece of Galen Glen. How did Erin get involved? So Erin grew up on our farm. Um, we moved when she was eight years old and just grew up taking care of the grapes right along, alongside myself and my husband. And when it came time for her to go to university, she said, I think I really want to do this. And we said, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> we know it, you don't. <laughs> no, because, it, I mean, she had seen, it's a lot of work. Any farm is, not just growing wine. Um, but she was pretty sure she did. So she ended up heading off to Cornell where she got two degrees, one in plant science and viticulture. And then this uh, one in enology and viticulture and the second one in plant science. Then from there, she hopped over to Europe where she ended up getting a master's also in enology and viticulture and started a tour of the world. So she's worked many places, um, most famously Napa Valley, um, all over Europe and also a bit in New Zealand and Long Island. So she brings all of that experience back to us. Her focus is sustainable. And as a woman wine grower, she is in the minority. There aren't, as a woman winemaker, there are um, a fair number of women winemakers, but women that grow wine and work in a vineyard, almost none. It's a very exclusive group that, group that she belongs to, and it is definitely her passion. Um, it would have been a huge mistake on the part of my husband and I to prevent her from going because she she's a vine whisperer. She's outside every day. Um, Rain, snow, sleet, hail, sun, heat, it doesn't matter. She's in the vineyard with her vines. Oh, that's so cool. Well, you're quite the mentor and quite accomplished yourself. You were named the number one woman wine baker in the USA. <laughs> yeah. And, and Galen Glenn, and that's, that was usually something that goes to somebody out in the West Coast. So, and I know that when Correct. they named you that, that was during a competition that was on the West Coast. So here you are from Pennsylvania. Yes. <laughs> so popular for wine. Um, that says a lot, Sarah. Um, yeah. And also, Galen Glenn was named Best Winery in Pennsylvania. That's very cool as well. Yeah, um, we have a pretty nice list of accolades. Um, wine is all we do. It's a very serious thing for us. If you visit us early in the morning, it's wine. And it's wine until the sun goes down. I mean, everything we do is we talk about wine growing, wine making, wine blending, what we can do um, to improve or or create something new. It just it's a non. It's very much a passion. Erin uh, also has two brothers who grew up in the business as well, and even they, you know, enjoy wine. It's just it, you can't be a family that grows wine and not have it affect all parts of your life. Yeah, sure, I understand that. Um, so you have 20 acres of vineyards. You grow five varietals and five hybrids. What's the most popular of your varietals? So the mo the biggest production was the bottle you actually held up. It's Gruner Vetliner, and we happen to have the second oldest planting in America. We planted ours in 2003. The oldest is 2002. Um, and the reason we planted it, I read about it in Food and Wine, which sounds kind of you know, everyone picks up a magazine and reads it. I read about it to ask my husband to plant it. At that point, I couldn't even say it. Now it rolls off my tongue. But, um, there were no vines in America. It was a very complicated process, but it turned out it was a really good choice. It grows beautifully on our variety. We've gotten a, on our farm. We've gotten a lot of attention for it. It's really been a defining variety for our property. Um, if you haven't had Gruner, it's kind of like a there's a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc characteristics to it, but also some Chardonnay. Um, it's a delightfully dry wine, and we really enjoy growing it. We now have multiple vineyards of it and multiple clones, so many ways to enjoy Gruner. Yeah, I, I generally like red wines a little bit more, but I have to say that I really, really enjoyed the Gruner, and I also loved your Riesling. So it was a it was tough to decide which I like better. I'm just going to have to get more and see what I can work out as far as my favorites one through five. <laughs> well, well, you should try as well. <laughs> so you, in addition to the vineyard, um, you've got a beautiful tasting room. You have an additional two areas for tastings, events, and private parties. Yep, we do. Um, 
you're currently putting on a patio with an amazing view. Um, <laughs> I encourage anybody who is interested in learning more to go up and check out uh, Galen Glen. You're open to the public Friday and Saturday, 12 to 6, and Sunday, 12 to 5? Correct. And um, then you also schedule private and corporate events during your other hours, if anybody's interested in having anything. it's There are some really great spaces surrounded by glass um, or outside. It's really a, a unique setting. I, I mean, you just Pennsylvania, you don't expect to find something like this, but there it was. Um, <laughs> You you sell your wines online, yes. at your store right. at the winery, yep. and also they're available at Wegmans, and quite a few fine restaurants in Philadelphia and around. So um, you just did a, a big tasting last night at River Twice Restaurant. Mm, That's which one of the top restaurants in Philadelphia. That was he is unbelievably talented. I I would encourage anyone. I can't wait to go back again. It was. An exceptional experience. So yeah, that was a privilege to be paired um, with that exquisite food. Yeah, cool. a lovely night. Well, if anybody's interested in more information, please go to the website. It's listed at the bottom of your screen, galenglen.com. And thank you, Sarah, for joining yes. us today. I appreciate all of your efforts in uh, making this happen. And I look forward to seeing all of you next week. I'll be joined by Victoria Wright of Made to Measure in Philadelphia and the Maid Institute. So keep living your dream, ladies. Back to you, Sue. Thanks, Sherry. Sarah, it's great to meet you. Thanks so much. We're going to go into our last break, and we'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Finding your brand's purpose. Hi there, my name is Diana Barnes, or DB as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand for over 30 years. We know that companies who give back to causes that are important to their consumers tend to grow faster, have increased brand loyalty, and attract top-tier talent. But what if your company's corporate giving is fragmented or non-existent? The former was the case when I joined Munchkin seven years ago. The company made donations to organizations, but there wasn't a strategic approach to its giving efforts. Sometimes a company's choice for philanthropic support, commonly referred to as CSR or corporate social responsibility, is evident. A shoe company donates sneakers to children in need, for example. At Munchkin, we leaned into less obvious choices. Just like the parents that use our products, we're concerned now more than ever about the world we're leaving to our children. Ensuring that at-risk and endangered animals survive for future generations is a primary pillar of our CSR. Our product line, Wild Love, infuses our devotion to animal welfare with our most successful products, our 360 Miracle Cups. The line is solely focused on educating families about these at-risk species and supports our biannual donations to the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Our philanthropic efforts also support Trees for the Future and the building of the world's first whale and dolphin safe haven through the Whale Sanctuary Project. We make these contributions because it's important to our founder, our employees, and our consumers. When I tell people where I work, they either recognize our brand from our most popular product, the No Spill 360 Cup, or they know us as the baby brand that cares about animals. Either is a win-win in my book. When it comes to defining CSR efforts for your company, don't be afraid to look beyond the obvious places or ways to give. Commit to a cause and to ongoing long-term donations. Find reputable organizations to give to by searching on GuideStar or Charity Navigator. Get your employees involved with volunteer opportunities and share milestones and accomplishments with your consumers. After all, they're the ones that make the giving possible. To learn more about all of Munchkin's CSR work, please visit us at munchkin.com. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. On June 14, 1775, U.S. Army was born in Philadelphia when the Continental Congress passed a resolution forming the Continental Army. On Tuesday, June 14th, the U.S. Army celebrates its 247th birthday. 
though I hung up my boots a few years ago. The spirit and grit of a soldier still lives within me. I am humbled to stand in the long line of warriors who have served our nation. I joined the Army after graduating from high school to pay for college. Back then, I had no idea that the decision was going to influence my entire adult life. The Army offered me an education, a chance to challenge myself, an opportunity to lead others, and most importantly of all, a sense of immense satisfaction knowing I was part of something bigger than myself. When I get a chance to speak to other retirees, they often say they joined the Army for personal reasons, but they stayed because of the service to others. On Tuesday, we will also celebrate Flag Day, or our country's recognition of adopting the national flag of the United States. Before satellites, radios, and other sophisticated technology, soldiers searched the horizon for the flag of the nation and their unit. Flags were used by leaders to maintain cohesion among the ranks amidst the chaos and confusion on the battlefield. Their flags, or the unit colors as they were known, were literally a rally point. That's how I look at the American flag today, as a unifying symbol that can bring us together as Americans, despite our differences. I know I'll be unified with my soldier brothers and sisters celebrating on Tuesday. So happy birthday to the Army and happy Flag Day. Welcome back. Let's see everyone for another week of Women to Watch. A big thank you as always to our watch team of corporate partners for helping us to bring you the show every week and all the amazing stories of women doing wonderful things. Um, stay with us next week for my guest, Katie Fitzgerald. Katie is the president of Feeding America. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.